Let's keep it moving, shall we, with Catherine Patterson's Bridge to Terabithia. This is part six, The Coming of Prince Tarion. Christmas was almost a month away, but at Jess's house, the girls were already obsessed with it. This year, Ellie and Brenda both had boyfriends at the Consolidated High School, and the problem of what to give them and what to expect from them was cause of endless speculation and fights. Fights because, as usual, their mother was complaining that there was hardly enough money to give the little girls something from Santa Claus, let alone a surplus to buy record albums or shirts for a pair of boys she'd never set eyes on. What are you giving your girlfriend, Jess? Brenda screwed her face up in that ugly way she had. He tried to ignore her. He was reading one of Leslie's books, and the adventures of an assistant pig keeper were far more important to him than Brenda's sauce. Don't you know, Brenda? Ellie joined in. Jess ain't got no girlfriend. Well, you're right for once. Nobody with any sense would call that stick a girl. Brenda pushed her face right into his and grinned the word girl through her big painted lips. Something huge and hot swelled right up inside of him, and if he hadn't jumped out of the chair and walked away, he would have smacked her. He tried to figure out what later, what made him so angry. Partly, of course, it made him furious that anyone as dumb as Brenda would think she could make fun of Leslie. Lord, it hurt his guts to realize that it was Brenda who was his blood sister, and that really, from anyone else's point of view, he and Leslie were not related at all. Maybe he thought, I was a foundling, like in the stories. Way back when a creek had water in it, I came floating down in it in a, whisker, in a wicker basket, waterproofed with pitch. My dad found me and brought me here because he'd always wanted a son and just had stupid daughters. My real parents and brothers and sisters live far away, farther away than West Virginia or even Ohio. Somewhere I have a family who has rooms filled with nothing but books and who will grieve for their baby who and who still grieve for their baby who was stolen. He shook himself back to the source of his anger. He was angry, too, because it would soon be Christmas and he had nothing to give Leslie. It was not that she would expect something expensive. It was just that he needed to give her something as much as he needed to eat when he was hungry. He thought about making her a book of his drawings. He even stole paper and crayons from school to do it with. But nothing he drew seemed good enough, and he would end up scrawling across to the half-finished page and poking it into the stove to burn it up. But the last week of school before the holiday, he was growing desperate. There was no one he could ask for help or advice. His dad had told him he would give him a dollar for each member of the family, but even if he cheated on the family presents, there was no way he could get from that enough to buy Leslie anything worth giving her. Besides, Maybelle had her heart set on a Barbie doll, and he had already promised to pull his money with Ellie and Brenda for that. Then the price had gone up, and he found he would have to go over in everyone else's dollar to make up for the full amount for Maybelle. Somehow this year, Maybelle needed something special. She was always moping around. He and Leslie couldn't include her in their activities, but that was hard to explain to someone like Maybelle. Why didn't she play with Joyce Ann? He couldn't be expected to entertain her all the time. Still, still, he ought. she ought to have a Barbie. So there was no money, and he seemed paralyzed in his efforts to make anything for Leslie. She wouldn't be like Brenda or Ellie. She wouldn't laugh at him no matter what he gave her, but for his own sake, he had to give her something that he could be proud of. 
If he had the money, he'd buy her a TV or one of those tiny Japanese ones that she could keep in her own room without bothering Judy and Bill. It didn't seem fair with all their money that they'd gotten rid of the TV. It wasn't as if Leslie would watch it the way Brenda did, with her mouth open and her eyes bulging like a goldfish hour after hour. But every once in a while, a person liked to watch. At least if she had one, it would be one less thing for the kids at school to sneer about. But of course, there was no way that he could buy her a TV. It was pretty stupid of them even to think about it. Or he was stupid. He gazed miserably out of the window of the school bus. It was a wonder someone like Leslie would even give him the time of day. It was because there was no one else. If she had found anyone else at that dumb school, he would be so stupid. He was so stupid he had almost gone straight past the sign without catching on. But something in a corner of his head clicked and he jumped up, pushing past Leslie and Maybell. See you later, he mumbled. He shoved his way up to the aisle through pair after pair of sprawling legs. Let me off here, Miss Prentice, will you? This ain't your stop. Gotta do an errand for my mother, he lied. Long as you don't get me into trouble, she eased the brakes. Noam, thanks. He swung off the bus before it really had stopped and ran back toward the sign. Puppies, it said, free. Jess told Leslie to meet him at the castle stronghold on Christmas Eve afternoon. The rest of his family had gone to the Milberg Plaza for, for last-minute shopping, but he stayed behind. The dog was a little brown and black thing with great brown eyes. Jess stole a ribbon from Brenda's drawer and hurried across the field and down the hill with the puppy squirming in his arms. Before he got to the creek bed, it had licked his face raw and sent a stream down his jacket front, but he couldn't be mad. He tucked it tightly under his arm and swung across the creek as gently as he could. He could have walked through the gully. It would have been easier, but he couldn't escape the feeling that one must enter Terabithia only by the prescribed entrance. He couldn't let the puppy break the rules. It might mean bad luck for them both. At the stronghold, he tied the ribbon around the puppy's neck, laughing as it backed out of the loop and chewed at the ends of the ribbon. It was a clever, lively little thing, a present Jess could be proud of. There was no mistaking the delight in Leslie's eyes. She dropped to her knees on the cold ground, picked up the puppy, and held it close to her face. Watch it, Jess cautioned. It sprays worse than a water pistol. Leslie moved it out a little way. Is it male or female? Once in a rare while, there was something he could teach Leslie. Boy, he said happily. Then we'll name him Prince Tarion and make him the guardian of Terabithia. She put the puppy down and got to her feet. Where are you going? To the Grove of the Pines, she answered. This is a time of the greatest joy. Later that afternoon, Leslie gave Jess his present. It was a box of watercolors with 24 tubes of color and three brushes and a pad of heavy art paper. Lord, he said, thank you. He tried to think of a better way to say it, but he couldn't. Thank you, he repeated. It's not a great present like yours, she said humbly, but I hope you like it. He wanted to tell her how proud and good she made him feel, that the rest of Christmas didn't matter because today had been so good, but the words he needed weren't there. Oh, yeah, yeah, he said, and then he got up on his knees and began to bark at Prince Tarion. The puppy raced around him in circles, yelping with delight. 
Leslie began to laugh. It egged Jess on. Everything the dog did, he imitated, flopping down at last with his tongue lolling out. Leslie was laughing so hard she had trouble getting the words out. You, you're crazy. How will we teach him to be a noble guardian? You're turning him into a clown. Ruff! Wailed Prince Tarion, rolling his eyes skyward. Jess and Leslie both collapsed. They were in pain from the laughter. Maybe, said Leslie at last, we'd better make him the court jester. What about his name? Oh, we'll keep his name. Even a prince. This in her most Terabithian voice. Even a prince may be a fool. That night, the glow of the afternoon stayed with him. Even his sister squabbling about when presents were to be opened did not touch him. He helped Maybelle wrap her wretched little gifts and even saying Santa Claus is coming to town with her and Joyce Ann. Then Joyce Ann cried because they had no fireplace and Santa wouldn't be able to find the way. And suddenly he felt sorry for her going to Millsburg Plaza and seeing all those things and hoping that some guy in a red suit would give her all her dreams. Maybelle, at six, was already too wise. She was just hoping for that stupid Barbie. He was glad he'd splurged on it. Joyce Ann wouldn't care that he only had a hair clip for her. She would blame Santa, not him, for being cheap. He put his arm awkwardly around Joyce Ann. Come on, Joyce Ann, don't cry. Oh, Santa knows the way. He don't need a chimney, does he, Maybelle? Maybelle was watching him with her big, solemn eyes. Just gave her a knowing wink over Joyce Ann's head. It melted her. No, nah, Joyce Ann, he knows the way. He knows everything. She squinched up her right cheek in a vain effort to return his wink. She was a good kid. He really liked old Maybelle. The next morning, he helped her dress and undress her Barbie at least 30 times, slithering the skinny dress over the doll's head and arms and snapping the tiny fasteners was more than her chubby six-year-old fingers could manage. He had received a racing car set, which he tried to run to please his father. It wasn't one of these big sets that they advertised on TV, but it was electric, and he knew his dad had put more money into it than he should have but the silly cars kept falling off the curves until his father was cursing at them with impatience. Just wanted it to be okay. He wanted so much for his dad to be proud of his present, the way he just had been proud of the puppy. It's really great. Really, I just ain't got the hang of it yet. His face was red, and he kept showing, and he kept shoving his hair back out of his eyes as he leaned over the plastic figure eight track. Cheap junk. His father kicked the floor dangerously near the track. Don't get nothing for your money these days. Joyce Ann was lying on her bed, screaming because she had yanked the string out of her talking doll, and it was no longer talking. Brenda had her lips stuck out because Ellie had gotten a pair of pantyhose in her Christmas stocking, and she only had bobby socks. Ellie wasn't helping matters, prancing around in her new hose, making a big show, helping Mama with the ham and sweet potatoes for dinner. Lord, sometimes Ellie was as snotty as Wanda K. Moore. Jesse Oliver Aarons Jr., if you can stop playing with those fool cars long enough to milk the cow, I'd be most appreciative. Miss Bessie don't take no holiday, even if you do. Jess jumped up, pleased for an excuse to leave the track, which he couldn't make work to his dad's satisfaction. His mother seemed not to notice the promptness of his response, but went on in a complaining voice. I don't know what I'd do without Ellie. She's the only one of you, kid, ever cares whether I live or die. 
Ellie smiled like a plastic angel, first at Jess and then at Brenda, who glared back. Leslie must have been watching for him because as soon as he started across the yard, he could see her running out of the old Perkins place, the puppy half tripping her as it chased circles around her. They met at Miss Bessie's shed. I thought you'd never come out this morning. Yeah, well, Christmas, you know. Prince Terrians began to snap at Miss Bessie's hooves. She stamped in annoyance. Leslie picked him up so Jess could milk. The puppy squirmed and licked, making it almost impossible for her to talk. She giggled happily. Dumb dog, she said proudly. Yeah, it felt like Christmas again. Part 7. The Golden Room Mr. Burke had begun to repair the old Perkins place. After Christmas, Mr. Burke was right in the middle of writing a book, so he wasn't available to help, which left Leslie the job of hunting and fetching. For all his smartness with politics and music, Mr. Burke was inclined to be absent-minded. He would put down the hammer and pick up the how-to book and then lose the hammer between there and the project he was working on. Leslie was good at finding things for him, and he liked her company as well. When she came home from school and on the weekends, he wanted her around. Leslie explained all this to Jess. Jess tried going to Terabithia alone, but it was no good. It needed Leslie to make the magic. He was afraid he would destroy everything by trying to force the magic on his own, but it was plain that the magic was reluctant to come for him. If he went home, either his mother or father, either his mother was after him to do some chore or Maybell wanted him to play Barbie. Lord, he wished a million times he'd never help buy that stupid doll. He'd no more than lie down on the floor to paint than Maybell would be after him to put an arm back on or snap up a dress. Joanne was worse. She got a devilish delight out of sitting smack down on his rump when he stretched out working. If he yelled at her to get the heck off him, she'd stick her index finger in the corner of her mouth and holler, which would, of course, crank up his mother. Jesse Oliver, you leave that baby alone! What you mean lying there in the middle of the floor doing nothing anyway? Didn't I tell you I couldn't cook supper before you chopped wood for the stove? Sometimes he would sneak down to the old Perkins place and find Prince Terry and crying on the porch where Mr. Burke had exiled him. You couldn't blame the man. No one could get anything done with that animal grabbing his hand or jumping up to lick his face. He'd take P.T. for a romp in the Burke's upper field. If it was a mild day, Miss Bessie would be mooing nervously from across the fence, so she couldn't seem to get used to the yipping and snapping. Or maybe it was that time of year, the last dregs of winter spoiling the taste of everything. Nobody, human or animal, seemed happy. Except Leslie. She was crazy about fixing up the broken-down old wreck of a house. She loved being needed by her father. Half the time they were supposed to be working, they were just yakking away. She was learning, she related glowingly at recess, to understand her father. It had never occurred to Jess that parents meant to be understood any more than the safe at the Milberg First National was sitting around begging, begging him to crack it. Parents were what they were. It wasn't up to you to try to puzzle them out. There was something weird about a grown man wanting to be friends with his own child. He ought to have friends his own age and let her have hers. Jess's feelings about Leslie's father poked up like a canker sore. You keep biting it and it gets bigger and worse instead of better. 
You spend a lot of time trying to keep your teeth away from it. Then, sure as Christmas, you forget the silly thing and chop right down on it. Lord, that man got in his way. It even poisoned what time he did have with, with Leslie. She'd be sitting there bubbling away at recess, and it would be almost like the old times. Then, without warning, she'd say, Bill thinks so-and-so. Chomp right down on the old sore. Finally, finally, she noticed. It took her until February, and for a girl as smart as Leslie, that was a long, long time. Why don't you like Bill? Who said I didn't? Jess Aarons, how stupid do you think I am? Pretty stupid sometimes, but what he actually said was, what makes you think I don't like him? Well, you never come to the house anymore. At first, I thought it was something I'd done, but it's not that. You still talk to me at school. Lots of times I see you in the field playing with PT, but you don't even come near the door. You're always busy. He was uncomfortably aware of how much he sounded like Brenda when he said this. Well, for spaghetti sauce, you could offer to help, you know. It was like all the lights coming back on after an electrical storm. Lord, who was the stupid one? Still, it took him a few days to feel comfortable around Leslie's father. Part of the problem was he didn't know what to call him. Hey, he'd say, and both Leslie and her father would turn around. Uh, Mr. Burke? I wish you'd call me Bill, Jess. Yeah, he fumbled around with the name for a couple more days, but it came more easily with practice. It also helped to know some things that Bill, for all his brains and books, didn't know. Jess found he was really useful to him, not a nuisance to be tolerated or set out on the porch like P.T. You're amazing, Bill would say. Where did you learn that, Jess? Jess never quite knew how he knew things, so he'd shrug and let Bill and Leslie praise him to each other, though the work itself was praise enough. First, they ripped out the boards that covered the ancient fireplace, coming upon the rusty bricks like prospectors upon the mother load. Next, they got the old wallpaper off the living room wall, all five garish layers of it. Sometimes, as they lovingly patched and painted, they listened to Bill's records or sang, Leslie and Jess teaching Bill some of Miss Edmund's songs, and Bill teaching them some he knew. At other times, they would talk. Jess listened wonderingly as Bill explained things that were going on in the world. If Mama could hear him, she'd swear he was another Walter Cronkite instead of some hippie. All the Burks were smart. Not smart, maybe, about fixing things or growing things, but smart in a way Jess had never known real live people to be. Like one day they were working, Judy came down and read out loud to them, mostly poetry and some of it in Italian, which of course Jess couldn't understand, but he buried his head in the rich sound of the words and let himself be wrapped warmly around in the field of the Burks's brilliance. They painted the living room gold. Leslie and Jess had wanted blue, but Bill held out for gold, which turned out to be so beautiful that they were glad they had given in. The sun would slant in from the west in the late afternoon until the room was brimful of light. Finally, Bill rented a sander from Milberg's Plaza, and they took off the black floor paint down to the wide oak boards and refinished them. No rugs, Bill said. No, agreed Judy. It would be like putting a veil on the Mona Lisa. When Bill and the children had finished razor-blading the last bits of paint off the windows and washed the panes, they called Judy down from her upstairs study to come and see. The four of them sat down on the floor and gazed around, 
It was gorgeous. Leslie gave a deep sigh, a deep satisfied sigh. I love this room, she said. Don't you feel the golden enchantment of it? It is worthy to be. Jess looked up in sudden alarm in a, in a palace. Relief. In such a mood, a person might even let a sworn secret slip, but she hadn't, not even to Bill and Judy, and he knew how she felt about her parents. She must have seen his anxiety because she winked at him across Bill and Judy, just as he sometimes winked at Maybelle over Joyce Ann's head. Terabithia was still just for the two of them. The next afternoon, they called P.T. and headed for Terabithia. It had been more than a month since they had been there together, and as they neared the creek bed, they slowed down. Jess wasn't sure he still remembered how to be a king. We've been away for many years, Leslie was whispering. How do you suppose the kingdom has fared in our absence? Where have we been? Conquering the hostile savages on our northern borders, she answered. But the lines of communication have been broken, and thus we do not have tidings of our beloved homeland for many a full moon. How was that for regular queen talk? Just wished he could match it. You think anything bad has happened? We must have courage, my king. It may indeed be so. They swung silently across the creek bed. On the, on the farther bank, Leslie picked up two sticks. Thy sword, sire, she whispered. Just nodded. They hunched down and crept toward the stronghold like police detectives on TV. Hey, queen, watch out behind you. Leslie whirled and began to duel the imaginary foe. Then more came rushing upon them, and the shouts of the battle rang through Terabithia. The guardian of the realm raced about in happy puppy circles, too young as yet to comprehend the danger that surrounded them all. They have sounded the retreat, the brave queen cried. Yes, drive them out utterly so that they may never return and prey upon our people. Out you go, out, out, all the way to the creek bed, they forced the enemy back, sweating under their winter jackets. At last, Terabithia is free once more. The king sat down on a log and wiped his face, but the queen did not let him rest long. Sire, we must go at once to the grove of the pines and give thanks for our victory. Just followed her into the grove where they stood silently in the dim light. Who do we thank? He whispered. The question flickered across her face. Oh, God, she began. She was more at home with magic than religion. O oh, spirits of the grove, thy right arm has given us the victory. He couldn't remember where he'd heard that one, but it seemed to fit. Leslie gave him a look of approval. She took up the words. Now grant protection to Terabithia, to all its people, and to its rulers. Aroo! Just tried hard not to smile. And to its puppy dog. And to Prince Tarion, its guardian and gesture. Amen. Amen. They both managed somehow to keep the giggles buttoned in until they got out of the sacred place. A few days after the encounter with the enemies of Terabithia, they had an encounter of a different sort at school. Leslie came out at recess to tell Jess that he that she had started that he had started into the girl's room only to be stopped by the sound of crying from one of the stalls. She lowered her voice. This sounds crazy, she said. But from the feet, I'm sure it's Janice Avery in there. You're kidding. The picture of Janice Avery crying on the toilet seat was too much for Jess to imagine. 
Well, she's the only one in school that has Willard Hughes's name crossed out on her sneakers. Besides, the smoke is so thick in there you need a gas mask. Are you sure she was crying? Just errands. I can tell if somebody's crying or not. Lord, what was the matter with him? Janice Avery had given him nothing but trouble, and now he was feeling responsible for her, like one of the Burks' timber wolves or beached whales. She didn't even cry when kids teased her about Willard after the note. Yeah, I know. He looked at her. Well, he said, what should we do? Do? She asked. What do you mean, what should we do? How could he explain it to her? Leslie, if she was an animal predator, we'd be obliged to try to help her. Leslie gave him a funny look. Well, you're the one who's always telling me I gotta care, he said. But Janice Avery? If she's crying, there's gotta be something really wrong. Well, what are you planning to do? He flushed. I can't go into no girl's room. Oh, I get it. You're going to send me into the shark's jaws. No, thank you, Mr. Aarons. Leslie, I swear I'd go in there if I could. He really thought he would, too. You ain't scared of her, are you, Leslie? He didn't mean it in a daring way. He was just dumbfounded by the idea of Leslie being scared. She flashed her eyes at him and tossed her head back in the proud way she had. Oh, okay, I'm going in. But I want you to know, Jesse Aarons, I think it's the dumbest idea you've ever had in your life. He crept down the hall after her and hid behind the nearest alcove to the girl's room door. He ought at least to be there to catch her when Janice kicked her out. There was a quiet minute after the door swung shut behind Leslie. Then he heard Leslie saying something to Janice. Next, a, a string of cuss words, which were too loud to be blurred out by the closed door. This was followed by some loud sobbing. Not Leslie's, thank the Lord, and some sobbing and talking mixed up in the bell. He couldn't be caught staring at the door of the girl's room, but how could he leave? He'd be deserting in the line of fire. The rush of kids into the building settled it. He let himself be caught up in the stream and made his way to the basement steps, his brains still swirling with the sounds of cussing and sobbing. Back in the fifth grade classroom, he kept his eye glued on the floor on the door for Leslie. He half expected to, to see her come through flattened straight out like the coyote on the roadrunner, but she came in smiling without so much as a black eye. She waltzed, waltzed over to Mrs. Myers and whispered her excuse for being late, and Mrs. Myers beamed at her with what was becoming known as the Leslie Burke special. How was he supposed to find out what had happened? If he tried to pass a note, the other kids would read it. Leslie sat way up in the front corner, nowhere near the wastebasket or pencil sharpener, so there was no way he could pretend to be heading somewhere else and sneak a word with her, and she wasn't moving in his direction. This was for sure. She was sitting straight up in her seat, looking as pleased with herself as a motorcycle rider who's just made it over 14 trucks. Leslie spurt clear through the afternoon and right on to the bus where Janice Avery gave her a little crooked smile on the way back on the way to the back seat. And Leslie looked over at Jess as if to say, see, she was going crazy. He was going crazy wanting to know. She even put him off after the bus pulled away, pointing her head at Maybelle as if to say, we shouldn't discuss it in front of the children. Finally, finally, in the safe darkness of the stronghold, she told him, do you know why she was crying? 
How am I supposed to know? Lord, Leslie, will you tell me what in the heck was going on in there? Janice Avery is a very unfortunate person. Do you realize that? What was she crying about, for heaven's sake? It's a very complicated situation. I can understand now why Janice has so many problems relating to people. Will you tell me what happened before I have a hernia? Did you know her father beats her? Lots of kids' fathers beat them. Will you get on with it? No, I mean really beats her. The kind of beatings they take people to jail for in Arlington. She shook her head in disbelief. You can't imagine. Is that why she was crying? Just because her father beats her? Oh no, she gets beaten up all the time. She wouldn't cry at school about that. Then what was she crying for? Well, Lord, Leslie was loving this. She'd string him out forever. Well, today she was so mad at her father that she told her so-called friends, Wilma and Bobby Sue, about it. Yeah, and those two, two, she looked for a word vile enough to describe Janice Avery's friends and found none. Those two girls blabbed it all over the seventh grade. Pity for Janice Avery. Even the teacher knows about it. Boy, the word came out like a sigh. There was a rule at Lark Creek, more important than anything Mr. Turner made up and fussed about. That was the rule that you never mixed up troubles at home with life at school. When parents were poor or ignorant or mean, or even just didn't believe in having a TV set, it was up to their kids to protect them. By tomorrow, every kid and teacher in Lark Creek Elementary would be talking and have snickers about Janice Avery's daddy. It didn't matter if their own fathers were in the state hospital or the federal prison. They hadn't betrayed theirs, and Janice had. Do you know what else? What? I told Janice about not having a TV and everyone laughing. I told her I understood what it was like to have everyone think I was weird. What'd she say to that? She knew I was telling the truth. She even asked me for advice if I was dear Abby, as if I was dear Abby. Yeah? I told her just to pretend she didn't know what on earth Wilma and Bobby Sue had said or where they had got such a crazy story and everybody would forget about it in a week. She leaned forward, suddenly anxious. Do you think that was good advice? Lord, how should I know? Make her feel better? I think so. She seemed to feel a lot better. Well, it was great advice then. She leaned back, happy and relaxed. Know what, Jess? What? Thanks to you, I think I now have one and a half friends at Lark Creek School. It hurt him for it to mean so much to Leslie to have friends. When would she learn they weren't worth her trouble? Oh, you got more friends than that. Nope, one and one half. Monster Mouth Myers doesn't count. There, in their secret place, his feelings bubbled inside him like a stew on the back of the stove. Some sad for her in, in her lonesomeness, but chunks of happiness, too. To be able to be Leslie's one whole friend in the world as she was his, he couldn't help being satisfied about that. That night, as, that night, as he started to get into bed, leaving the light off so as not to wake the little girls, he was surprised by Maybelle's shrill little, Jess? How come you're still awake? Jess, I know where you and Leslie go to hide. What do you mean? I followed you. He was at her bedside in one leap. You ain't supposed to follow me. How come? 
Her voice was sassy. He grabbed her shoulders and made her look him in the face. She blinked in the dim light like a startled chicken. You listen here, Maybelle Aarons, he whispered fiercely. I catch you following me again. Your life ain't worth nothing. Okay, okay. She slid back into the bed. Boy, you're mean. I ought to tell Mama on you. Look, Maybelle, you can't do that. You can't tell Mama about where me and Leslie go. She answered with a little sniff, uh, with a little sniffling sound. He grabbed her shoulders again. He was desperate. I mean it, Maybelle. You can't tell nobody nothing. He let her go. Now, I don't want to hear about you following me or squealing to Mama ever again, you hear? Why not? Because if you do, I'm going to tell Billy Jean Edwards you still wet the bed sometimes. You wouldn't. Boy, girl, you just better not try me. He made her swear on the Bible never to tell and never to follow. But still, he lay awake a long time. How could he trust everything that mattered to him to a sassy six-year-old? Sometimes it seemed to him that his life was, del was as delicate as a dandelion. One little puff from any direction, and it was blown to bits. <laughs>